What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Boochcast. Today's episode, we're just going to focus on one thing and one thing only, and that is the WWE Extreme Rules pay-per-view, which just took place on the WWE Network, which, by the way, you can have for a mere $9.99. And, of course, as the rain starts to fall, if you can't, some of you might be able to hear the rain some of you might not be able to hear the rain but if you can't hear the rain obviously it's going to confuse you but the rain is now starting to pour as I get into this recap and we're going to jump right into it I'm not going to waste any more time we're going to start things off with the first official match of the evening for the raw tag team titles the deleters of worlds Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt defend the titles against the B-team, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel. And this match was an awesome opener for the show. And what I love the most about it was the large focus on ring psychology that this match had. We didn't have to see too many crazy, wacky, zany high spots. We saw four masters of psychology. Well, definitely two in the Leaders of Worlds. But also Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel showing they are no slouches when it comes to psychology as well. Obviously, they learned well from their their daddies uh, back in the day. And what was probably one of the best moments was when we saw Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas face-to-face in the ring and everybody going crazy because obviously, this is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is a marked town, which means most of the audience already knows 
what we all know, and that is Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas are brothers in real life. So it looked like we're going to see a brother versus brother showdown. Of course, Dallas quickly tags in Axel before they engage in anything, so the mind games were perfect. And like I said, great back and forth action. The B team with their amazing chemistry, you know, isolating Hardy in the corner for most of the match, you know, Bray Wyatt being unable to make the tag. And then, of course, all of a sudden, we get a moment where Bray Wyatt goes for Sister Abigail, but Curtis Axel breaks it up. Hardy tags in. Axel and Wyatt get clear from the ring. Dallas capitalizes on a distraction and hits his finisher and covers him one, two, three. And the winners of the match are the B team which shocked everybody except for me. I can honestly say I was the only one that wasn't shocked by the result because I had a strong feeling that the B team was going to win. I rolled the dice. I made them my prediction choice and the hard work paid off. The, the risk gave me great reward as the B team got me a point and won the tag team titles. And of course, the B team cuts a promo. They celebrate their win. Curtis Hassel talks about how he feels the same way Stretch Armstrong did when he landed on the moon, which I thought was hilarious, especially since most people in the audience, the younger generation, probably have no idea who Stretch Armstrong is. But people my age, we all know who Stretch Armstrong is. It was those that wacky toy from the 90s which was basically an action figure but it had arms and legs that you could stretch out and I think his head could stretch a little bit too but you can only stretch it to a certain degree but eventually if you let go it would eventually you know retract and return to an original shape and unless you stretched it too far to the point where it couldn't return and then it broke some stretch Armstrongs were pretty defective but I remember as a kid I had stretch Armstrong I even got the Vacman toy which was basically this wobbly nothing until you pumped it full of air and then you were able to stretch it out like a Stretch Armstrong doll. The only difference is it permanently stretched out. You had to push it back in and then you would push this button and it would deflate all the air. But if you lost the pump, your vac man was fucking destroyed. You couldn't do nothing with that toy unless you had the pump. And of course, I remember these because as a kid, those were some of my favorite toys to play with. I love Stretch Armstrong so I love the reference, love the joke. It makes Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas look goofy as well well, they should be, but they've also got the Raw Tag Team titles so they don't look completely like a joke. It fit the gimmick that they have, and it was great. And of course, Bo Dallas closed it out by saying the B stands for the best because they pride themselves on being the best and they proved it by having those tag belts. And what they also proved was that they didn't need the fucking Miz to be stars. And that's what I love about it the most. The fact they were able to step out of the shadow of the fucking Miz, who I despise more than anything else on the planet. In fact, one of my favorite parts of Extreme Rules is the fact that the Miz is nowhere to be found on this pay-per-view except for a little 30-second commercial beforehand which is fine by me I don't give a shit or the only time you saw him was when they would do little snippets in between to promote his piece of shit reality show that's coming out on the USA Network which I have no intention of watching and I think your life is sad if you do plan on watching it because that piece of shit doesn't deserve a reality show but if it leads to him eventually leaving a professional wrestling ring then in that regard I hope the reality show is a monumental success so we can ultimately take 
take him out of the wrestling ring so he can't continue to contaminate it with his untalented in-ring sloppy skills. But anyway, I digress. I'm getting a little off topic here. All I want to say is so glad the B team is tag team champions. I hope they remain tag team champions for a long time. And if that is the case, I hope this eventually leads to Matt Hardy eventually establishing a solo career. Whether he goes for the Intercontinental Championship or eventually becomes the champion of the multiverse. Yes. But this is now the time for Woken Matt to be established as a singles competitor and start winning singles championship gold. He needs to start a new expedition of gold and it needs to be a solo expedition of gold. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area with Kurt Angle where he does an interview. He says he's conducting talks with Brock Lesnar's team about having him back to defend the Universal title. Heyman says Lesnar isn't interested in defending against any of the opponents Angle has lined up. Angle takes issue with Lesnar appearing on UFC but not WWE so he issues an ultimatum. Lesnar is to appear on Raw tomorrow and accept an opponent or he will be stripped of the Universal title. And I love this concept because one of the things that is really bothering the WWE Universe is Brock Lesnar not being around to defend his title. I'm getting bothered with it the most because I felt that Brock Lesnar should already should no longer be the Universal Champion. Roman Reigns should have taken that belt off of him at WrestleMania. In fact, even some of the most devout Roman Reigns haters on planet Earth wanted to see him take that belt off of Brock Lesnar. The moment they decided to have Lesnar beat Roman and keep that title, they fucked up everything that they had planned for the last few months. All the wins that Roman Reigns got, all the the big dog push that he got that everybody's been bitching about was all for nothing because Brock Lesnar is still sitting at home with the Universal title. And apparently Vince McMahon has this insane fucked up idea in his head that he genuinely wants to see Brock Lesnar walk into the octagon with the Universal title around his waist. And he wants that publicity. And that's why they've been keeping this belt on Brock Lesnar. Despite the fact that it is hurting their company and it is hurting their talent. Everybody lives under the delusion that Brock Lesnar is a draw. And to an extent, he is. But he is not bringing anything special to the Universal title. He's brought nothing special in the in-ring matches that he has had. Brock Les- Whatever draw Brock Lesnar had, it's gone now. Fans don't want him. Because as soon as they heard the words stripped of the title, the entire audience cheered. Because they would love nothing more than to see Brock Lesnar get stripped of the Universal title. And Brock Lesnar needs to accept an opponent. The question is, who is he going to accept? And I'm going to say this. Whoever he does accept, that person needs to whoop Brock Lesnar's ass. He does. If Roman Reigns gets another crack at Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns needs to walk out the Universal Champion. If Bobby Lashley gets a shot, he needs to walk out with the title. If Finn Balor gets a shot, somehow he needs to win. Maybe he probably, chances are he probably won't. But at this point, I no longer give a fuck who beats Brock Lesnar anymore. That's where I'm at. 
At this point, I no longer care about his legacy because his legacy is shit at this point. In fact, I would go as far as to say when Brock Lesnar's there conducting the conversation with Kurt Angle, have Braun Strowman cash in right there on Raw and take the belt off of Brock Lesnar and have Braun Strowman win the Universal title right then and there because it is goddamn ridiculous to have Brock Lesnar be the Universal Champion for this fucking long. There's no reason for it. And I got news for you. No one's going to care if he walks into that octagon with the Universal title. The UFC fans are not going to give a shit because most UFC fans don't like professional wrestling. There's some that do, but most of them don't. Most of them do not like wrestling. In fact, all of them look at wrestling as the dreaded word that we wrestling fans hate hearing, fake. They think it's all fake. They take pride in using the word fake. They've referred to Brock Lesnar as a fake wrestler. They've referred to Batista as a fake wrestler. They've referred to Bobby Lashley and even CM Punk as fake wrestlers when they stepped into the octagon, when they stepped into MMA, wherever they were at. They were treated like fake wrestlers and they had to get in there and legit fight to prove that they're not fake wrestlers and that they are legit badasses guaranteed to fuck you up. That's what Brock Lesnar had to do when he first stepped into UFC and became the UFC heavyweight champion. CM Punk, even though he's got two losses on his record and will probably not get a third fight, he proved in the second fight that he can at least go the distance. You know, and Bobby Lashley's had a great career down in Bellator. I think Batista has had a decent MMA record as well. I don't know. And I know Jack Swagger is looking to jump into MMA at some point too. So hopefully he'll prove he's a badass. So that's the point. But having Brock Lesnar walk in with a universal title is not going to impress anyone. It's not going to impress the media. It's not going to impress the UFC. It's definitely not going to impress Dana White. I doubt Dana White would even approve of the fucking thing. Especially since even the most diehard WWE fans don't even like the design of the fucking championship. So there is no reason whatsoever for Vince McMahon to want to have this fucking fantasy. It's not going to do well for business. It's not going to give you mainstream appeal. It's going to waste everybody's time. And it's going to bury the Raw roster who is waiting to be a universal champion and you can push with this title. It's gone on long enough. It has to end. So at SummerSlam, we need to end it. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Baron Corbin versus Finn Balor. Now, this match was meh. It was decent. I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't really enjoy this match. Um, The parts I did see was kind of cool, but it was a basic match. It it wasn't special. It wasn't interesting. You know, Balor locked uh, Escape the End of Days, rolled Corbin into an inside cradle, pinned him for the 1-2-3, and Finn Balor ended up winning the match, and he got pissed off as the ref celebrate, as Balor celebrated up the ramp, and, you know, Baron Corbin was pissed off at the ref. Sorry, my notes. I'm having a hard time reading my notes. I am a little tired here, but still trudging on through. But ultimately, the match was, there was nothing special. 
It was just a basic wrestling match. And this is kind of the match you wanted to watch if you had to, you know, go to the bathroom or use your cell phone or smoke a cigarette, which most of us did at the, you know, watch party that I went to. Um, pretty much uh, Elvis, Zach, and I were all outside smoking cigarettes. Desmond was the only one not smoking with us because Desmond's the only one in the group, as far as I know, that doesn't smoke cigarettes. I know Steven used to, but he quit. So mostly it's just, you know, the three of us out there kind of smoking cigarettes and not really paying attention because we just didn't really enjoy this match. It was just basic and kind of thrown together at the last minute and didn't really need to be there. So I saw nothing fun about this. And then on that note, we cut to the backstage area where we see the Bludgeon Brothers beating down Daniel Bryan and Kane in the hallway. Roman takes out Kane's knee and Kane sells a knee injury while Bryan is also struggling to get to his feet. And of course, they use their giant Thor-like hammers to bash Kane's knee. So basically, they beat the shit out of these guys. And now, obviously, the indication is what's going to happen with the SmackDown tag team title match. Is the match going to get canceled? Are the Bludgeon Brothers going to be shook to their titles? What's going to happen here? Because obviously, Kane and Daniel Bryan are going to have a bitch of a time, uh, you know, getting to the ring or whether or not they'll even be medically cleared to go out to the ring. So it was, I, I don't get the point of this backstage segment. I felt like it was a waste of time and fucking meaningless. Like, it's a pay per view. You shouldn't, you, especially when people are excited to see the return of Team Hell No. We don't need a beat down backstage. That shit does nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't bring excitement excitement to the match. It doesn't add to the story. It just looks dumb. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. Speaking of things that look dumb, we got for the SmackDown Women's Championship, Carmella defends the gold against Asuka. Now the stupid part about this is James Ellsworth being suspended above the ring in a shark cage. Now, obviously, this sounds like it would be entertaining for some people. It wasn't really to me. In fact, this was underwhelming as fuck, as my uh, friend Rhiannon would say. I could just say this was a waste of my time to watch this match. It was a waste of everybody's time. Basically, this is what happened. Asuka and Carmella do some basic matches, uh, but of course, even though Ellsworth is locked in the cage, he's still able to help out and provide interference. He's tossing foreign objects to Carmella, just keeps throwing her objects or trying to, but Asuka keeps seeing them and throwing the objects away. And then eventually, at some point, Ellsworth manages to break free from the cage. Apparently, they were calling him a master locksmith and he picks the lock like a gangster and breaks out. But then all of a sudden his foot gets caught in the cage and he's hanging upside down and he looks like a pinata. A chinless non-sexy pinata. Which I thought was kind of funny and ironic because when Chris Jericho was locked in a shark cage he talked about how he was looking like a sexy pinata. Yet Ellsworth actually looked like a pinata and of course Carmella is kicking the shit out of Ellsworth as he's hanging there. Asuka's laughing and hitting Ellsworth and and you could just tell the whole time she's hitting him. She's like, the candy's not falling out. Get the presents. Get the presents. And she just keeps kicking him repeatedly. And you're expect. And the only thing that would have made it better is if fucking candy actually fell out of Ellsworth's 
his pockets. If he just stuffed his stuffed his like pants or whatever with candy, and then that way as Asuka kicked him, the candy fucking fell out. Would have made that much more entertaining. So then of course WWE staffers get in the ring, try to get Ellsworth down. Asuka attacks them. Asuka clears the ring, continues beating the hell out of Ellsworth. Carmella sneaks in the ring from behind her, from behind, shoves Asuka face first into the cage, and then covers her one, two, three. The winner of the match, still women's champion, Carmella. And of course, she celebrates up the ramp as Ellsworth is still caught up in the cage. Asuka gets to her feet, beats the hell out of Ellsworth as he gets free from the cage. Asuka suplexes Ellsworth multiple times before kicking him in the head. She applies the Asuka lock and Ellsworth taps out and screams. So basically, Ellsworth, once again, gets embarrassed and made to look stupid. Which I get it. Ellsworth's doing a comedic gimmick. But I still hate the fact that he's constantly being made to look like a joke. Because if you keep making him look like a joke, eventually, the joke is not gonna be funny anymore. And once that happens, Ellsworth will have outlived his usefulness just like he did before. So, I feel like Ellsworth's being made to be too much like a joke, and it's gonna hurt in the long run. But, once again, Carmella has a victory over Asuka. She has managed to beat Asuka again, so... Asuka's racking up quite a losing streak. The only difference is she seems to be losing to only two people, Charlotte and Carmella. So Carmella is really establishing herself as a heel women's champion that's very dominant and very successful. And obviously Asuka is getting humbled in the process. So my question is, when is Asuka finally going to win the women's title, if ever? And if she does, will anybody really care? Because whatever mystique Asuka had, it's gone at this point. Asuka, to me, is just another girl, just another woman on the roster now. So the whole, nobody ready for Asuka. It's it's not intimidating anymore. Because clearly Carmella is ready for Asuka and has her number. But So even though the pushing her face first into the cage thing was kind of anticlimactic, um, I was still happy because at least I got the win in the prediction competition and nobody saw that coming. Again, Vinny Bucci, the Booch, on top of his game. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the United States Championship. Jeff Hardy defends the gold against Shinsuke Nakamura. And this shocked a lot of people, including me. Before the bell, Nakamura hits a low blow on Jeff Hardy. The ref checks on him, sees if he's ready to fight, rings the bell, Nakamura hits the Kin Sasha on Jeff, who's still visibly hurting from the low blow, pins him 1-2-3, and becomes the new United States Champion. Then Randy Orton comes out, he walks into the ring, Nakamura gets out of the ring, holds the US belt, stands on the announce table, they kind of have a stare down. Orton turns around, trips Hardy down, stomps him in the groin, and walks backstage as Nakamura looks confused, and Hardy sells the low blow in the ring. So clearly, Jeff's in a lot of pain, and now it looks like Randy Orton is going to be the next challenger for the United States Championship. And obviously, it's been a long time. Since we've seen Randy Orton on television. I don't know if he's been injured. Or if he's been taking some much deserved time off. But now Orton's back in the mix. Which I enjoy. He's in the US title mix. Which is even better. Because they're keeping him on the mid card. And not thrusting him into the WWE title spotlight too early because everything seems to be good at that end. So to have a new challenger for the U.S. title is great. And also, Nakamura, with his new heel gimmick, the U.S. title right now is perfect for him. As to why the match was fast, I have no idea. I'm hearing some rumors that Jeff Hardy is injured. I'm also hearing other rumors that Jeff Hardy was being punished 
for a recent DUI that he got. So I don't know which reason it is, but I do know this. The fast win was shocking. The only logic I can come up with is because is the fact that they don't want a match to go too long because we do have a 30-minute Iron Man match to get to. So that's probably why they made that match very quick. And by having Orton walk out, they've already established the next challenger for Nakamura. They've also announced that uh, Tuesday on SmackDown, Jeff Hardy will get his rematch for the United States title. I don't see Jeff winning the title back. I see Nakamura retaining and then Randy Orton chasing the U.S. title. And I'm probably going to see something between Orton and Nakamura very soon. And if Jeff, by some miracle, does regain the championship, then obviously they'll probably make it a triple threat match or some weird shit like that. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got a steel cage match, Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens. This match was another great ring psychology type match. The use of the cage was perfect. I love the fact that it gave Kevin Owens chances to get some offense on Braun Strowman, especially when at one point, Strowman, they were fighting on the cage, Strowman fell to the floor, and Kevin Owens hit a frog splash and almost got a pinfall victory. I also love the fact there were times that it looked like Kevin Owens was going to escape the cage, but then Braun Strowman stopped him. Uh, I also love the handcuff spot where he handcuffs Braun Strowman, then he does a DX, suck it, then he does a, blows him a kiss, climbs up the ladder, then all of a, climbs up the cage, sorry, then all of a sudden, Braun Strowman breaks free, and I love love the fact that Braun made it look like a struggle. Made it look like it was going to be difficult. Because clearly, the handcuffs were gimmicked so that he could easily break them. But he had to make it look like it was a struggle. And then finally rip them off and climb up there and stop them. Then he grabs Kevin Owens. Choke slams him from the top of the cage all the way down to the floor. Through the announce table. And then all of a sudden, the ref calls for the bell. And here's the interesting thing. Kevin Owens wins the match. Because technically, he is escaped the cage and both his feet touched the floor and Braun Strowman then afterwards the EMTs come out he's laying motionless Strowman yells your winner Kevin Owens and smiled and walked away so obviously Kevin Owens got the win so technically he can say he beat Braun Strowman but Strowman clearly doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. Braun Strowman's like, he didn't want to win. He just wanted to fuck up Kevin Owens some more. And got him in a position where he couldn't run away from him. So Braun got his ultimate revenge. Uh, the big question now is, is Kevin Owens going to be kayfabe written off TV? Are we going to see him on Raw tonight with like a neck brace on, whining and complaining? Is he going to be via satellite? I don't know what's going to happen. But for Kevin Owens needs to sell this neck injury. They need to make sure this works. So I would say write him off TV for a few weeks. Don't worry about Kevin Owens. Let Braun Strowman focus on the fact that Brock Lesnar could potentially be on Raw and let him focus on cashing in the money in the bank or threatening to cash it in or, you know, confronting Brock Lesnar. That's what Braun Strowman needs to do since he's got the briefcase. Kevin Owens needs to be out of sight, out of mind, not forever, but just for a period of time. And then eventually, maybe at SummerSlam, you can work him back in if you want to give him a new feud. But if you don't have a new feud plan for Kevin, let him stay home till you do. Give him time. 
to really sell the effects of that choke slam through the table and the stretching out and everything else. You can't have him come back on Raw the next night. That's not good enough to sell those injuries. It's just not. So that's probably the best way I would go about it. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. The Bludgeon Brothers defend the gold against Team Hell No. This match was very entertaining, but had a sad, anticlimactic finish. Now, Kane didn't come out at first. It was just Daniel Bryan all by himself, practically outsmarting the Bludgeon Brothers and getting a lot of shots in on them. Now, some people were shocked, or now I say some people, I mean like people at my watch party were shocked that Daniel Bryan was getting all this offense and making the Bludgeon Brothers somewhat look bad. I look at it like this. Daniel Bryan tapped out Big Cass. Not once, but twice. To see Daniel Bryan getting good shots in on the Bludgeon Brothers, outsmarting the Bludgeon Brothers, doesn't surprise me. Or that Bryan is outsmarting them and everything else. And then, of course, Kane finally comes down. He's living in the ring. He's got a walking cast on, which is weird because they technically took out his knee. And then all of a sudden, you know, Kane's trying to hit choke slams. He goes for a tombstone. They take out the bad leg. Brian tags in, comes in hot. Brian hits the yes, kicks on Rowan, drops him. Harper tags in, hits a spinning heel kick on Brian. Rowan tags in. They hit their version of the Doomsday device. Cover him one, two, three. The Bludgeon Brothers are still the tag team champions. And I'll be honest. The only good I see in the Bludgeon Brothers being the SmackDown tag team champions still is the fact that they could potentially face the authors of pain at Survivor Series when the SmackDown tag champs take on the Raw tag champs. Because at some point between now and November, the authors of pain need to win the Raw tag team titles so that they can have that match with the Bludgeon Brothers and make it entertaining. And we can see these two behemoth tag teams collide. But at the same time, I felt Team Hell No was perfect. Daniel Bryan and Kane could have been tag team champions. Daniel could have ran with this for a while until it was time for him to go into the Royal Rumble, win that, go to Mania, and win the WWE title. This would have been something cool for Daniel to do for now with Kane. Especially since, you know, Kane probably has a little ways to go before he, you know, has to officially start the, the race for mayor to, you know, become the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know how long a mayoral race is. I don't follow that shit. I'll be honest with you, but Kane has already said when if he gets elected mayor, he'll be the mayor. He'll focus on being mayor. Like, it's not going to be, the WWE will not affect his ability to be the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. So when it comes time, he'll be the mayor and he'll take the sabbatical from wrestling. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next moment. We got Roman Reigns is uh, walking backstage when he gets approached by the B team who are still celebrating their victory from earlier. Reigns shakes his head off and walks off. And we get our next match of the evening. The two Titans collide. Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley. And this match was fantastic, in my opinion. These two big men collided in the ring and they did not disappoint. Now, when I say they did not disappoint, I am talking purely from a wrestling analyzing standpoint. Based on what I saw, these two men worked very well together and did the best they could with the moves they have. Now, obviously, the fans, the marks 
did not enjoy this match. They were very much, you know, anti-Roman throughout all of it and really didn't want to see these two lock up and they just don't want to see Roman, period. So no matter what happens, they just boo till it's over. And then, of course, uh, you know, Lashley hits Roman Reigns with a spear. Uh, you know, actually, Reigns yells at Lashley and runs the ropes for a spear. Lashley gets up fast, beats Reigns to the punch with a spear of his own, covers Roman, one, two, three, the winner of the match, Bobby Lashley. And once again, a lot of people were shocked. Once again, the Boots is the only one not shocked. Why am I not shocked? I'll tell you why. Because, as we mentioned earlier, Brock Lesnar had no intentions of appearing at SummerSlam. There's rumors going around as to whether or not Brock Lesnar's even going to show up. If Brock Lesnar was guaranteed to be at SummerSlam, I probably would have picked Roman Reigns to win this match. But because he wasn't, I see no reason why Bobby Lashley can't have the victory. Because obviously Bobby Lashley would be a fantastic contender for Brock Lesnar. I feel like these two would have a hell of a match. It's a match that most wrestling fans want to see because both men have a strong, solid MMA background. And also, Roman already has a legitimate gripe to contest for the Universal title because he got fucked over at the Greatest Royal Rumble because his feet touched the ground first. So technically, that belt should already be around his waist. But the refs fucked up. They gave it to Brock Lesnar and that's why Brock still has that belt today. So, Roman Reigns doesn't need to beat anybody to say, I deserve another shot. He has the proof in the fact that he got screwed by botching referees. So Bobby Lashley is the perfect guy to put in this scenario. He was the right guy to win this match. And it was a hard-hitting, badass match that was highly that was highly entertaining and truly main event worthy. Now, granted, it wasn't the main event, but it very well could have been. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got our Extreme Rules match with Ronda Rousey shown sitting at ringside where she's been throughout the entire night. And we got, for the Raw Women's Championship, Alexa Bliss defends the gold against Nia Jax. And this match, to me, was very disappointing. I mean, granted... It was great from an Extreme Rules standpoint in the sense that a lot of good weapons were used. And the fact that they actually used weapons and didn't just have a straight up fight. But there were a lot of things that went wrong. Obviously, Alexa Bliss was there. I mean, sorry, Mickey James was there uh, providing interference. Natalia came out to help. They isolated Natalia. Ronda finally snapped, jumped the barricade, beats the shit out of Mickey James. But Mickey James practically no sold all that stuff cuz she got up almost immediately to attack Ronda Rousey and isolate her and bombard her and put her out of the picture and then eventually it looked like Nia Jax was about to hit her finisher but then she got bashed with a steel chair Alexa Bliss then and Nick Mickey took turns hitting her with a chair Alexa DDT's Nia onto the steel chair covers her 1 2 3 and retains the title after the match Ronda finally comes to gets back in the ring Mickey and Alex are treated up the ramp and that's basically uh what we see at the end of all this fuckery now i'm not mad that alexa bliss retained her title I kind of already knew that was happening just based on the fact that Ronda Rousey is about to get into a rivalry with Alexa Bliss. So it didn't surprise me that she kept the gold. But I got a feeling that at SummerSlam, Ronda's not going to fight for the title. 
I think instead we're going to see a tag team match. I think we're going to see Ronda Rousey and Nia Jax versus Mickey James and Alexa Bliss. That's what I believe. And if Bliss and Mickey are able to somehow add a third woman to their team, I see no reason why Natalia can't get involved in this match as well. In fact, if Nia decides she wants nothing to do with Mickey, with, with Ronda, sorry, maybe then Ronda and Natty can take on Bliss and Mickey. So, obviously, I see a tag team match coming at SummerSlam. I don't think they're going to put the belt on Ronda just yet. And here's the thing. I don't want to see the belt on Ronda just yet. Ronda needs more time. She still needs to develop. She's definitely got a lot going on right now. She is amazing in the ring for a overhyped rookie, as Bliss likes to call her. But the truth is... Rhonda's already showing she's got skills. She just has to get them more polished, and she's got to get more comfortable on the mic, which she's getting there. She's not fully there yet, but she's getting there. And that's all that matters, is that there's improvement. That's the key thing. As long as you can see improvement every time, then that's all we can really ask for out of Ronda or anybody else in wrestling for that matter. So that's my two cents on the Extreme Rules match, but I felt it didn't live up to the hype at all. You know, too much interference is a bad thing, even if you are a heel. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the WWE Championship. AJ Styles defends the gold against... Rusev Day Aiden English singing Rusev singing for Rusev great great moment for Aiden English out there out there to support Rusev him and AJ Styles had a hell of a great match and as you can tell my respect for Rusev has gone up tremendously This is the perfect gimmick for Rusev. Rusev in this match, even though sadly he did not win the title, he proved on this night that he truly deserves to be a main event player. I can now say at this moment, Rusev is everything he needs to be. He's got the personality and he has the perfect manager to speak for him. He also has a great, has a better look and he has a better gimmick. Instead of doing that whole, you American pigs, he's just doing the whole Rusev Day Machka. He's great. This is a great gimmick for Rusev to have. And his in-ring skills get better and better and better. This is the Rusev that can one day become WWE Champion. And I'm surprised didn't become WWE Champion at Extreme Rules. And of course, in the end, AJ spots Aiden English by the apron, hits a running baseball slide kick, follows up with a phenomenal forearm, hits the three count, and retains the WWE Championship. AJ's hand is raised after the match. He gets on the corner to raise the title in the air. And Aiden English tries to console Rusev after the match as they go to replays. And all I gotta say is, Rusev, don't quit. Do not quit the WWE because you are getting so much better and you made such an impact on this night. It is only a matter of time before you become WWE champion. It's going to happen. Rusev is definitely going to be a future WWE champion. He just has to hold on and wait till the right time. This was not his night. 
but his night will come. In the meantime, AJ Styles will hold on to that championship for as long as he can. And I don't know how much longer they're going to keep AJ Styles as champion. But obviously, if he's been champion this long, he's obviously drawing a lot of money for the company as a champion. AJ Styles is right where he belongs, on top of the mountain. And after that, we see Seth Rollins backstage walking towards the gorilla position. Charlie Caruso interrupts and mentions Drew McIntyre will be at ringside. Rollins says he has three opponents tonight. The clock, Ziggler, and McIntyre at ringside. Rollins talks about the importance of this being an Iron Man match. And, of course, that is what we're seeing in Iron Man match. It'll be 30 minutes long. So, Ziggler, so Rollins would have to rack up as many points as possible within the 30 minutes. So, I like the fact that Rollins is aware of that and the fact that he is going to put all of that into play during the match. And in the main event for the Intercontinental Championship, 30-minute Iron Man match, Dolph Ziggler defends the gold against Seth Rollins. And there's a lot of things that are right with this match. And there's a lot of things that are wrong with this match. What's right is that it's the main event. This is exactly what I've been talking about for the longest time. Now, normally this is back when the pay-per-views were split. Now they're joint pay-per-views. But one thing I've always said is that while the Universal title is gone, the Intercontinental title should get all the recognition on Raw. It should main event the Raw pay-per-views. It should be the focal point of Monday Night Raw. It should be the one title everybody should be trying to get while the Universal title and the Universal champion are absent. Absent from WWE. That should be the title. And the fact that it's the main event means it's getting the respect that it deserves. And both these men are fantastic Intercontinental Champions. And, of course, out of nowhere, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, Rollins starts racking up points like crazy. Um, you know, Rollins rolls up Ziggler out of nowhere for the first three count. Then, then Rollins hits a curb stomp, gets another three count. Drew McIntyre runs in, beats on Rollins. The ref calls a DQ. So now, Rollins is up 3 nothing. Then, eventually, Ziggler uh, rolls over onto Rollins and pins him for a 1-2-3. After Drew continues to beat down Rollins, the ref rejects him. Drew hits the Claymore kick. Ziggler covers him, gets the three. Then, Ziggler gets to his feet. He hits a super kick on Rollins. Covers him, scores another three count. Then, Ziggler throws Rollins into the corner. Hits a zigzag. Grabs another three count. And the whole thing is tied. Then, Ziggler pins Rollins with both feet on the ropes. The ref didn't see it, so he counts to three. The fall count is now four to three in favor of Ziggler. And this whole thing drags on and on and on. Until eventually, Rollins slingshots Ziggler into the corner. Rolls him up. Gets the one, two, three. The whole thing is tied. All of a sudden, Rollins hits a curb stomp, but then as he goes for the pin, the clock runs out before the ref can make the three count, and the match ends in a draw. So, Dolph Ziggler, of course, is walking away with his Intercontinental title. Cranio comes out, and he says, the WWE Universe's hometown doesn't want to see a tie. We go into sudden death overtime. Drew McIntyre comes back. Rollins takes him out with a knee. Ziggler runs in, hits the zigzag on Rollins, covers him one, two, three, and retains the Intercontinental title. So, Dolph Ziggler is still the IC champion. And all I gotta say is, this was obviously a main event match and the match of the night. Both these men proved that they are two of the best wrestlers of all time. These two had a stellar, probably one of the best intercontinental title matches I've ever seen. These guys had everybody on the edge of their seats, everybody up on their 
feats. It was so entertaining to watch. The, the moves, the near falls, the moments, you're like, holy shit. The only thing I hate the most was the Drew McIntyre interference. We didn't need it. And the fact that there was nobody out there to even up the score, like Drew McIntyre just gets ejected when he won a match to secure his spot at ringside, I thought was just dumb. They might as well just brought somebody else out, preferably Dean Ambrose. Like maybe bring back Dean, assuming he's not injured anymore. That would have been great to help even up the odds a bit. Would have been a lot better. So I felt Drew McIntyre brought nothing to this match. He was just unnecessary. And he got in the way of what could have been an amazing match. And obviously, Ziggler is a heel and heels need to cheat. And I get that. But still, I didn't like the ending. And, you know, Dolph's... But obviously, they want to keep Dolph Ziggler as champion for a little while longer. And, you know, I can't really object to that. Because Dolph Ziggler is doing fantastic with this belt. I just hope he doesn't become an afterthought with the Intercontinental Championship. That once he loses that belt, he'll start working towards... The main goal. Now, obviously, he can't work towards the WWE title because he's not on SmackDown anymore. But I'm hoping at some point when the Universal title finally comes back to Raw full time, they will start working Ziggler into that Universal title picture. And if not him, at the very least, start with Drew McIntyre, who is truly improving, who has truly improved since his last run with WWE. So... That's all I gotta say about this Iron Man match. Other than the fact that it was stellar, great near falls, great shocking moments, count potential countouts, edge of the seat. These guys know how to tell a story in the ring. This is a true main event. This is how you close out a pay-per-view, and this is what made Extreme Rules one of the best pay-per-views this year, and possibly one of the greatest of all time. Alright, and that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude my recap of WWE Extreme Rules. Now, this, of course, was a classic episode to uh, commemorate Extreme Rules taking place this Saturday, uh, which, of course, uh, I will be watching uh, either by myself or with some friends. Uh, depends on the situation, but either way, uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Go to our YouTube channel. Check out all of our exclusive video content. And, of course, be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, November the 26th for WWE Survivor Series. Also, we got our D&D show coming soon, as well as our Boochcast booking battle and a special project we have in the works that you guys will be seeing very soon. Also, be sure you guys support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three different levels you can donate at. The first level is, of course, uh, 99 cents per month. That's for people who don't have a lot of money to spend but still want to help us out. Obviously, we would never ask you guys to break the bank or sacrifice a payment or feel pressured to donate 
money to show. If all you can do is spread the link to everyone you know while you listen, that's all you can really do. We appreciate that. But if you do want to donate, the 99 cents level is for you if you're a little strapped for cash. Also, we have the second level you can donate at, which is $4.99, $5. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. I know ever since I sold to the Peacock, you got to know where to put that $9.99. So today at $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network, and we are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. Now, the best part is all the money that we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We use the money to upgrade our equipment. We use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay our bills, and take care of the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed uh, Zach Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. We're still trying. It's easier said than done. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.